five rings to come up and pitch. To those of you who have joined us today and aren't normally in college on Wednesdays or our guests, we're uh, preaching this week through the theme of holiness, given that we're uh, enjoying Holy Week in the lead up to our celebration of the Lord's death and resurrection. So let me pray for us. Our wonderful Lord, we do thank you for this opportunity this week to reflect more intentionally on the passion of Christ and the gifts which he won. And we ask now that in reflecting on holiness, you give us hearts which are quick to obey by the inspiration of your own Holy Spirit. For we pray it in his strong name. Amen. In a device world, and by device, you know what I mean, right? In a device world, we feel like we're connected with those near or those far away. But we have to recognise that that connection can be somewhat ambiguous, or if not ambiguous, lead us in the wrong path. For the connections we experience through social media are kind of not very deep connections at all. We like to think that we're living in Malaysia and the US and Poland and Australia at the same time, but actually in the end, we can only be so attached to the world outside. We live locally where our deepest attachments are to be found. David Brooks is a writer for the New York Times. He's not a Christian, but he's just written a book called The Road to Character, and he picks up these very questions about where do we find deep attachments in a digital age. He says, you spend a lot of time cultivating professional skills but you don't have a clear idea of the sources of meaning in life. Years pass and the deepest parts of yourself go unexplored and unstructured. You're busy, you have a vague anxiety that your life has not achieved its ultimate meaning and significance. You live with an unconscious boredom, not really loving, not really attached to the moral purposes that give life its worth. You don't even have a strategy to build character. And without that, not only your inner life, but also your external life will eventually fall to pieces. We like to think that we're connected, but without deep attachments, actually that connectivity is really just a series of fragmented identities. Because we only put certain parts of ourselves forward in social media and we can only live to some degree with those in different places without really recognising that actually there's something deeper, a deeper attachment that our soul longs for. 
Well, we're talking about moral renewal this week. We're talking about holiness. We're talking about the idea that we can only grow in the Lord if we plant deep roots. If you want to grow in holiness, if you want to grow up in sanctification, you've got to make sure that you're deeply attached, deeply rooted in the soil of the Lord. Romans 6 will help us understand how we might further grow in holiness. Well, the the Apostle in 6 verses 1 and 2 opens with a contrast. There are two paths. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? May genoito, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? There's the sin track of life or there's the grace track of life and you've got to be on one of them. You can't be on both. You've got to decide where you put down your roots. And if you do indeed choose to go down the grace path and not the sin path this is the advice he gives verse 3 don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father we too may live a new life The grace path is the baptism path. For Paul reminds his readers that we were baptised into Christ Jesus. We were immersed into Christ Jesus. We were immersed into his death. We are connected with his death deeply. We are joined to him. We are with him. In fact, in verses 5 and 6 and 8, the with language predominates. For example, in verse 5, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Or in verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Or in verse 8, now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Paul's saying the grace path is the baptism path. And the baptism path is the path that shows us that we've been immersed. We are deeply, deeply connected with Christ. And we need to be connected to Christ if we're to receive the benefits of Christ. Of course it's true that we celebrate this Easter, Christ as our substitute, dying in our place. But we also want to celebrate this Easter from Romans 6, the truth that Christ is our representative. And as he died, I was dying with him. As he was raised, I was raised with him. I am joined deeply to him in his death and resurrection. It's not that being a Christian is being obedient to Christ or receiving forgiveness from Christ. We want to celebrate our deep union with Christ. For the Christian life is not as much about observing God as participating in the life of God. 
We're participants in the life of God, not just observers of God from a distance. There's a difference between listening to an orchestra and playing in an orchestra. There's a difference between watching your team win the grand final and being a player in the grand final. There's a difference between watching someone drown and drowning yourself. We are participants, not observers. God is not just distant and we watch him. He's close and we experience him. I've mentioned before that the hymn by Isaac Watts, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, is very moving, but it does remind me that I'm a distance from God on a different hill, watching Christ die on that hill. Whereas songs like In Christ Alone remind me not just of Christ being distant, but my deep, irrevocable union with him. For when you're baptised, you're not just telling your friends or family that now your sins are forgiven. You might be doing that evangelistically. But when you're baptised, you're making a statement about how every day of your Christian life will work. Every day of your Christian life, you'll be dying and rising, dying and rising, dying and rising, because the shape of Christ's ministry is the shape of our life as well. A few years back, I heard uh, an interview before someone was baptised and the interviewer asked the fellow about to be baptised, uh, what did baptism mean to him? And he talked about uh, having uh, a great respect for the pastor and that this fellow's life was like the pastor's life. And the interviewer got a little bit nervous at this point because the interviewee wasn't mentioning Jesus at all. So the interviewer pushed a bit harder, but the interviewee just didn't get it. There was no sense in which the baptism that was about to happen was a baptism into Christ's death, shaping the rest of that young believer's life. Well, the wonderful thing about baptism is that it it joins me to the story of the Bible and it joins me to the story of the Trinity and my own life story is integrated with those as well. Paul is giving us this early explanation in chapter 6 of what moral renewal, what holiness is like. It comes from a deep attachment to Christ in his death and resurrection. When Luther was tempted to sin, he'd call out, presumably in Latin, I am baptised. That was the moral resource he drew upon to push back against the devil's threats. How I wish that more and more we didn't speak about Celtic spirituality or New Age spirituality, but actually talked about baptismal spirituality, a daily dying and rising. And that daily dying and rising involves from you and me hard decisions. Look at verse 11 of our text. 
In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourself dead to sin. You've got to, every day, make effort, make a decision to put yourself in that place again. Justification might come as a free gift, but sanctification involves our daily decisions. Consider yourself dead to sin. I gave this talk earlier in the year and one young fellow came up to you after said, I, I really appreciate your talk, Reese, but just to let you know that I've, I actually did once consider myself dead to sin and I've dealt with it now. And so I, I asked him, genuinely, I find it hard to believe when people tell me they've never sinned or they don't sin anymore. I asked him, he said, no, I don't sin anymore. I've considered myself dead to sin. Now, it was just as well that I'd uh, been looking at the Greek of this before the talk because in verse 11, the count yourself dead to sin is a present imperative. It assumes, <laughs> it assumes that you have to keep deciding. In fact, Paul keeps asking us to make this decision again and again and again. Our daily practice is to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive with Christ. For we read in verses 5 to 10 that a new boss is in town. We have a new master to obey. If we have been, verse 5, united with him in a death like his, we'll certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Anyone who's died has been set free, has been liberated from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will live with him also. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. There's a new master. There's a new boss. There's a new country that we live in. We used to live in the country called sin, but now we live in a new country called righteousness. We used to obey that master, but now we have a different master to obey. The power of sin is spent. Sin no longer has the power it used to. Its power has been cut off at the source. But we've got to start recognising that, right? We've got to live like it's true. You understand that if you've just been married, the first year of your married life is a difficult one because you've got to start seeing yourself now as no longer single, just eating pizza for dinner, <laughs> and now you're married. You have to start imagining that you are a unit and you working together. But it takes a while for some people to get the idea that they're working with one diary, one schedule rather than two. It's a, a change of the way you think about yourself daily. Or as Dave Chiswell likes to say, we've got to think of ourselves like 
a princess. Now, I've asked Dave for permission to nick his, uh, his story. He tells the story of uh, Mary Donaldson growing up in the suburbs of Hobart, who becomes Mary, Princess of Denmark. Now, if you look at the old shots of Mary, photos and videos, and from days past to today, to today, you'll see that she's undergone quite enormous transformation. She's had to learn how to think like a princess. She's had to learn how it is that she comports herself, how she speaks, how she dresses, how she behaves, how she greets. Because she can't just be Mary Donaldson anymore, now she's Mary Denmark. We've got to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. We've got to retrain the voices in our head. And that will take lots of small steps every day, rather than one big decision once a year. But we certainly have to retrain our thinking. Even last night, a wicked thought came to my mind as I was sitting at my desk revising this sermon. And I shouted out, no, I'm a son of the king. We are kids of the king. We have to let that voice in our head be loudest. It involves some self-talk and a new name for ourselves because the old power has been destroyed, there's a new master in town. But it's not just self-talk, it's not just changing or fighting a voice in your head. We've actually got to fight our sins as well. For it might be in verse 11 that Paul asks us to count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. But he goes on, not just to speak of that change of voice, but a real struggle in our members. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself, any member as an, uh, of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. It's a struggle, it's a fight. It's not just about making a decision in my mind about the way I see myself. It's at least that. But it's more than that as well. We're on a pilgrimage where we're fighting every day against the sin in our members. We've certainly left Egypt, but we haven't yet arrived in the promised land. Paul expects us to say no to something today. In verses 12 and 13, do not let sin reign. You've got to say no to something regularly. So can I ask you the question, what have you said no to in your life before the Lord this week? Is there anything you've said no to? Is there any sense in which we can say we've 
forbidden sin to reign in our mortal body? What have you said yes to this week? What better thing have you said, yes, Lord, I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to think that. I'm going to say that. Because if you can't actually name something you've said no to and something that you've said yes to, I want to ask you to think about your Christian growth and your Christian maturing and your Christian progress, your Christian pilgrimage. It's a very salutary lesson for me as I reflect on my days and my weeks and my months. What have I said no to? And if I can't name anything, I feel very, very sad. Life's not just about self-expression, but that's what we are often told. You might have come across the attempt by Volley recently to rebrand. Now, Volley Dunlops are kind of a bit daggy or they're a bit 1955 or something like that. So Volley's decided that they're going to rebrand and become a kind of a sexier brand. And their advertising is, is extraordinary. Uh, don't go looking for it, but it really is provocative and uh, deliberately aimed at helping you think about self-expression. This is their this is their uh, explanation of their advertising campaign. It's important to note that the Volley campaign is all about the celebration of sexual expression. Not other kinds of expression, but this particular campaign. The celebration of sexual expression and the freedom to love whoever we want as individuals. One, it's just bizarre that that kind of campaign is attached to gym boots. But secondly, it's doing something very profound to help us understand our culture because the world around us does not see the ultimate goal of our life as moral renewal. And friends, the struggle, though it's hard, is worth it. The struggle to put to death the sin in our members is worth it. I remember the final morning on my trek to Machu Picchu where having walked for three or four days up as far as down, up as far as down every day, finally on the final morning at five o'clock you reach the rise and out before you in the morning sunlight is this extraordinary hidden city of Machu Picchu. And I don't often do it these days but I experience that take your breath away moment thinking yes these three four days hard walking have been worth it for the view i received on the very last day well this is the way christian in pilgrim's progress describes the struggle this hill though high i covet to ascend the difficulty will not me offend, for I perceive the way to life lies there. Come, pluck up, heart, let's neither faint nor fear. Better though difficult, the right way to go, than wrong though easy, where the end is woe.
Well, that famous Nobel laureate, Bob Dylan, would say this. <laughs> You've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. We make our choice again today to serve the Lord. 6.19 gives us a summary of what I've been saying. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, Paul writes, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. We've got to make a decision and there will be a struggle, but holiness will be the outcome. Or verse 22, now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Holiness is a gift, but it also involves our deep attachment, our self-slavery to God the Almighty. Friends, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. What is holiness? Well, yesterday we learned it's about being cleansed by God. Today we learned that holiness is being crucified with Christ. Amen. Thanks, Rick.